Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Joining me on the phone, as always, is co-host Alan Niven. But, but, we have also got special guest Doug Cosmo Clifford from, of course, a CCR and, and a solo project and all kinds of other stuff. Uh, bonjour, Doug. How are you? Um, I'm terrific. Uh, beautiful day out here and uh, I'm uh, trying to kick the thunder clouds away. I live up in the mountains and that's a little bit scary, but well, one can't uh, control Mother Nature and that's a good thing. Yeah, you're right. And but, and I'm looking at the same thing here. It, it, we went from uh, 108 degree Fahrenheit to now it's dark as, as all heck and it's only three in the afternoon and it's just like, uh-oh, this is not going to be good. But uh, Alan, <laughs> Alan, Alan, say bonjour while we're here. Well, bonjour, senor. Um, you mentioned you're in mountains. Are you not in San Francisco? Are you living in a mountainous area somewhere? Yes, I've, I've been uh, living in the state of Nevada for 40 years. Uh, Aha. I moved up originally up to Lake Tahoe, which is a beautiful alpine lake uh, mm-hmm. at about 6,000 foot altitude. And I have since moved down into Reno, but I'm still in, I'm still in, the, in the mountains at 6,000 feet. I'm surrounded oh, by yes, you are. Uh, mass, massive pine trees and and uh, bears and uh, deer and uh, <laughs> all the, uh, the, the the critters that Mother Nature uh, has put here, and uh, I feel badly that we're coming and stealing their turf. But uh, one must do what one must do, unfortunately. Yeah, they they must. Well, I, I I live in a mountainous area myself. I live in the uh, mountains of Arizona in a little town called Prescott. And I can understand why you like being there. And I can also understand what you're saying when, yeah, we move into their territory a little bit because uh, um, I've lived here longer than anywhere else that I've lived in my life. And at various times had to share with mountain lion and antelope and what I call boogie pigs, javelinas. Yes, yeah, javelinas, um, oh, yeah. Yep, they're around all the time. Let me start out. First off, um, again, I'm going to keep this on a slightly personal level. Uh, just in the last few weeks, I've raised two families, and my youngest son, who's 19, has come to me and gone, who does that song about looking out the back door, and, and, and what's, this, uh, what's this credence band? He is absolutely besotted with your recordings of the last century and i find that wonderful because it tells me that there's a vitality that has informed the songs and still sounds fresh and great today how does that feel to you now when you look back and realize that you're stilling on still turning on a young consciousness now does that feel good to you oh it's unbelievable for me and it, it, quite honestly, it's our our, our greatest uh, accomplishment to have three generations of fans in a pop medium. Uh, that being said, uh, when we were uh, 13 years old, we started the band. At least uh, uh, three quarters of it, John, uh, Stu, and myself started a band called the Blue Velvets. And we were an instrumental trio, and our dream was, and this is this is it verbatim. We, Sunday, we want our songs played on the radio. Well, they've been playing them for 53 years, so the dream lives, and 
uh, continues to live and uh, it's, it's very proud to have been a part of uh, something that was so so great and has made millions of people happy all over the world whether they speak English or not so it, it's uh, yeah it's, it's it's terrific you know it's, it's just absolutely hard to, hard to describe it's it's a fantastic legacy Doug and uh, for me personally um you know, I, I did a little bit of, bit of producing and composing back in the day. Um, I would have to admit that CCR informed my consciousness in, in the creative aspect. Um, I mean, for example, I, I'm not sure that the great white track Rock Me would exist if there hadn't been a, a, a grapevine from CCR because that blew my young mind um, the stretch out of the, uh, you know, two and a half, three and a half minute format I thought was just absolutely fantastic and loved it, and it definitely informed informed my consciousness. Um, do you ever do you ever play the old songs? Can you go back and do that, or is that too difficult to uh, listen to? On occasion, uh, uh, Stu Cook and I had a, uh, put a band together called Creedence Clearwater Revisited, and uh, we we just uh, uh, put that one to rest after 25 years. Uh, <laughs> we had a we had a five year plan. <laughs> And it went five times five, so uh, wow, uh, pretty pretty terrific. Uh, so you know, there are times when you need to go back, uh, and at least I do uh, or did, uh, and and just uh, try to you know when you play these songs uh, night after night, uh, uh, you know year round, you you don't want to you don't you don't want any, any stagnant. Uh, uh, parts, shall we say, drifting around in your head. So, uh, yeah, I, I would, I would uh, go back and uh, uh, shut the lights down low and uh, put put on a, 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 the tracks that I wanted to hear, and uh, you know, and just kind of reassess, if you will, and uh, uh, remember that what it felt like when you know when 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 we when we cut it. Remember what it felt like when it went to the top of the charts remember what it felt like when we went out and played on, on the road. So, uh, yeah, I would, I would, uh, from time to time, uh, go back for a listen. If I, if I may, let, let, let me jump in here for one second. Uh, I just want to get to this magic window, uh, album. You recorded this in 1985 and it has sat unused until 2020. What was sort of the, the, the recording mind at that time was it i'm going to make an album that's going to be for the mtv era and here we go or how did it end up being a lost album talk to me a little bit about that well i didn't consciously uh, say i'm going to go into the uh you know and and uh, uh what is it mtv uh, uh, mtv that's right but i was i was uh, you know uh i had a studio in my house and I had been trying to put bands together, and I, you know, with with another songwriter. In other words, I had two other bands that I was trying to get deals for, where there were there were two songwriters, me and and, and one of the other guys in the band, and uh, and but they, you know, you would think I would be the guy that would uh, not want to go play in the in the little clubs and do that type of work. Uh, to to be able to get your chops up for one thing, and to be able to showcase your band uh, to record company company people, 
couple that got in two two cases, and it kind of crushed the the project. Because I was paying for everything, I, you know, I was the guy that was doing doing all the work as a producer. I produced a bunch of bunch of these songs, but they wouldn't go. You know, they, you know, I won't, I won't, you know, I, I, I can't, I can't go back to that play in there. Why the hell not? We're going into this place of rock and roll music. We might get a deal. <laughs> What's wrong with that? So anyway, uh, uh, Magic Window was going to be a deal for me as a singer songwriter. I had it with. Uh, you know, doing it the other way, and uh, so uh, um, I, I uh, worked uh, out the, the material with the different uh, a couple of guys, uh, uh, Remy Polomsky and, and I. I wrote uh, four of the songs, co-wrote four of the songs together. Uh, uh, Russell DeShield, who co-produced with me, uh, wrote one song together because he was busy with. His, he had a project going, and then he was co-producing with me. We, we would have written more more songs. I wrote two by myself without a co-writer. And uh, you know, when I co-write, I will write with one other person, but I won't write with uh, any more than that, than that. And the reason being is that uh, all of a sudden you have a, too too many cooks in the kitchen, and uh, you know, and. and it, it, then all, all, all of a sudden, people start saying, "Well, I wrote more than I wrote two more lines than you did, so I should get a bigger piece of the action." <laughs> Jesus, you know, let's let's just go for the music, and and you know, it'll all work out in the wash. We'll all it'll all average out, and let's start start you know getting mathematics involved and worry about who's going to make more money when we haven't finished dance song. Maybe it won't make any any money. And, and that was more of the case than not. So anyway, uh, I said, the hell with that. I'm going to put together my best effort. And uh, so I picked the songs that I, I thought would be the uh, a way to show off what I could do. So there was a, quite a, a, you know, a, 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 a variety of vocal styles and, and, and songs. And, and I think it also made, made for a, a more interesting um, a musical adventure. You know, they're all, they're all a certain genre and they're going to get stinky fast. So uh, that was, that was the deal. And I had a deal with Richard Perry. I took me to LA and I, I cut two of the songs that are on that album down in LA and another one that they, they wanted me to, Cut of theirs, and and so they said, "Hey, you passed your audition. We're gonna, Richard's gonna be in town. He's he's gonna sign you next week." And next week came, and Richard Perry had a had a breakdown and checked himself into, I think, I mean, that's what I was told anyway, and got rid of Planet Records, uh, which was he had a deal, I think, with RCA for 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 that project, and uh, and he was done. <laughs> I get, I'm at the finish line and I'm just about ready to cross the chalk. <laughs> the, the, the other guy crumbles, you know, and I'm, oh my God. So I was a little disheartened and, and kind of sick of it. And so I put that thing uh, away and uh, didn't want to think much about it and certainly get into another music project. So I got into a civic project and uh, in the old natives for defensible space, we had a drought situation. So I applied my biological uh, um, knowledge and uh, firefighting uh, knowledge as well, and put a, a pro program together called Neighbors 
were defensible space. I won't get into in, into the nuts and bolts of it, but it was a major major undoing uh, doing of uh, of dealing with uh, landowners. The biggest landowner in the Tahoe Basin was the Forest Service, federal government, and then all everybody from that point down. Anyway, that uh, I, that program was deemed number one in the nation uh, by by the Department of Agriculture. So they were sending guys up in, in, by the busload, literally, and I would take them around and show them what we were doing and in this very sensitive environment. You couldn't really touch anything, which was good, but since they're, they're, the science wasn't there and the, the, the fuels were, so I managed to dodge that and did it for, for about three years. I was a, a citizen of the year and, and, and other, other nice things were bestowed on me, a badge. Fire, fire chief's badge and things of that nature. I did it all. You know, there was no, no, no money involved. I insisted on it being a volunteer effort from, uh, from everyone. And it was, it was probably the best thing I ever did as a human being. Uh, you know, the music was a, a different kind of gift. But uh, anyway, that, that that took me away from from uh, you know recording and put the you know I forgot about the, the tapes and did other projects. And back in the music, I did some. Uh, I did uh, three albums with Doug Song, the great Doug Song. Uh, two of them I produced, and uh, uh, just, uh, he's probably the most talented individual I've ever worked with. I mean, the guy is, he was a bit wacky, but he was a he was he was spectacular. He he really was. Uh, I'm going to just ask Alan this because I want to start talking about the Cosmo Factory now, Alan. As a young fan, you went out and bought Cosmo Factory. What did that album, because we're, we're celebrating the 50th anniversary, came out July 16th, 1970. Alan, as a fan, uh, let Doug know what that album meant to you. Well, with CCR, it started out with me, I think if I remember correctly, I think it was a track called Green River, and then Born on the Bayou. So, I mean, by the time Cosmo Factory came out, I was well... Uh, con- connected to my sense of appreciation and love of the band and looking forward to the record. But, you know, before we get into the detail of that, I was just going to quickly touch on, uh, you know, Doug just touched on something that I thought was interesting when he was talking about publishing and fighting over publishing. Um, because back in the day as a manager, I used to look at bands and think, well, the seeds of destruction are usually found in wives, girlfriends, and fighting over publishing. <laughs> so I used to, uh, I, I used to try and get my uh, bands to um, give due credit to who wrote the song, but share all the income that came in. Because my point of view is, what profit is of a man if he gets all the publishing but loses his band? Um, I. Oh. I as a fan, I'm, I'm looking back and going, I, I suppose there was a lot of that going on with CCR, which was a shame because uh, Cosmo Factory is a classic record. And if, some, if you don't have it in your library or collection, you need to go get it straight away. I mean, you know, Back Door, Who Stopped the Rain, Runs Through the Jungle. Wasn't Traveling Band on that record? Um, it, sure was. it was. It sure was. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just a, a splendid record. And one of the things that I really like about it is the uh, production and recording technique 
is what I describe as ageless. You can't date it. It hasn't got, for example, in the 80s, I was fighting against the use of drum tracks because I felt mm-hmm. that they took feel away from the band. And <laughs> Lynn why drums, do you have a drummer? Right, put Lynn oh drums on God. everything. <laughs> oh, it's such an engineering approach. It's not a spirited approach. But Cos- Cosmo Factory was a, just one of the records that has an impact in your life. Um, did you know it at the time when you were making it, Doug? Did you feel it? Did you feel it was that good a record? Well, we were on such a fast track, you know. We did put out three albums, and uh, and and sixty nine alone, five albums in two years. So we we were in a you know on a hot streak. Wait wait wait, had... wait, 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 wait. Please run that by me again. The record company had you make how many albums in how many years? Well, no, it wasn't the record company. It was it was us. Uh, that was our our, uh, our 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 call, John's call, I should say. We, wow. did, we did three albums. Here, here, I'll tell you why. Um, you know, we did three albums in, in one year. That's sixty-nine, and uh, and then uh, t- two albums in seventy. And, and there would have been three, but uh, Cosmos Factory Factory was uh, on the number one for I think eight, nine weeks, and so it's it had a longer shelf life than anything we had ever put out before. So we, you know. But John's, uh, I asked him at one point, what's 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 the the, the the sprint thing all about? Why are we, you know, taking on so, so much? I mean, I'm, I'm just curious. You know, I'd like to know what this is the plan. What what is what, what what's it all about? And he said, if we're ever off the charts, we'll be forgotten. And he was dead serious. I, he, I said, I don't think so. I don't. No one's done it. You know, no one else said that I know of has done it and all of our peers have done just the opposite you know they've taken a break and and for whatever reason to tour or, or you know put together another record for or just you know go see the world who knows but uh, that's that's why we, we did it and the way we did it is we, we broke a lot of rules uh, the record company rules don't ever release a single in front of an album because you'll you'll lose album sales. That, that was one thing. We, we well, uh, Cosmos Factory had, uh, I believe, four singles uh, come out, double-sided hits. So two singles, uh, but both sides were were out, were, were charted, uh, and then we put those out before the album was released. We did it again uh, on uh, Green River, I believe, and and possibly. Uh, Possibly William and the poor boys, but uh, but that, the point was that there would be a gap there if we didn't do that, and we would have been off the charts. So John didn't want, didn't didn't want that to happen, and it didn't. Right, and by the way, I'll just I'll just put this in, Alan. I want you to t- to wrap your head around this. So in January '69, Bayou Country double platinum, Green River in August triple platinum, William the poor boys in November of '69. Double platinum, Cosmo Factory, July seventy four times platinum, and then Pendulum in December of seventy platinum. So five five albums, two years, and you know if you combine all the sales, you, we're talking diamond status in terms of you know platinum, platinum, platinum. platinum. <laughs> yeah. It it, it yeah. is unbelievable, and 
and quite frankly, unmatched. I mean, I know you look at some of the earlier bands like Aerosmith and Kiss and all, they did two a year. And and a lot of bands did two a year. You know, there was the spring album and, yeah. the, and the fall album. But five multi-platinum albums in 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 under 24 months is is wild. It's just wild. I mean, <laughs> well, well it, it just goes to tell you that Doug was in a pretty good little outfit. Um, if if I were going to remember um, a confusion, I won't call it a disappointment, but a confusion for me, I was utterly convinced that they were from Louisiana when I first heard them. And it really <laughs> surprised me when I found out they were from San Francisco. And I went, how does that happen? They sound so Southern. They sound so Louisiana. I mean, you can almost hear the Spanish moss in the percussion tracks, you know? Um, <laughs> That was, a, that, that was a surprise to me that it sounded so sudden. Were you guys very connected, obviously, but tell me what connected to you to that, that sudden vibe and feel. Well, uh, you know, we, we uh, all had the same record collection when we started, uh, when we started the, the band. And uh, that's how I, how I met Stu, first day of school in the seventh grade, you know, we, we were in home and then we started, had our leather jackets and our greasy hair and all the, the stuff that was cool, you know, <laughs> James Dean. And, uh, anyway, um, so we started talking about music and, and, um, she was saying, well, I got, you know, and, and I mean, did you know, did, were, were you aware at that time of, you know, somebody like Dr. John, because rightly or wrongly, um, the vibe on, your performance of Grapevine, it it reminds me a little bit of Dr. John's Walk on Gilded Splinter. They both have that kind of similar atmos and that sense of hoodoo in them. You know, it's just a terrific track. Did you know Dr. John in those days? No, we did not. Um, I knew I knew who he was, and I you know I, I heard some of his music, but uh, at, at that point we were kind of living in, a, in our own little bubble. And, you know, we, it, it was based on things. Most of the, 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 the real stuff that we were, we, we were getting was from the 50s. And it was, you know, uh, so it was like the real rhythm and blues, you know, really. Little Richard? Down home. Oh, Little Richard, for sure. Uh, yeah. And, you know, yeah, no, no question. Uh, that's Donnell. Uh, you know the New Orleans bands. Uh, they were kind of you know guys that were on all those records. Uh, mm. Terrific, terrific stuff. So that that's what I listened to mostly was the the, the black R and B, the real R and B, uh, and Huey Piano Smith and uh, you know guys that had that just that great. That great, like the feel in Lucille. It's, I mean, I hear that. I, I just said, I just said that, and I, I got goosebumps. I'm, I'm wearing shorts. It's hot. I said that Lucille. I got goosebumps. I still do. You know that. And as a kid listening to that and saying, "Man, I want to." That's what I want to play. And uh, so that would be this the stuff that I, I kind of cut my teeth on. And, uh, uh, Jimmy Reed, we actually went and saw Jimmy Reed in Oakland a few times. Uh, at a time when you could, then it got to where you could you couldn't go down there, uh, you know, uh, in, in, in the black neighborhoods uh, because we were white and 
we were teenagers and we, we you know, so, but uh, there was a period of time we were able to go to a lot of those shows. We went and saw James Brown. Man, <laughs> I gotta tell you, I've never seen anything like this. They literally, they stopped the show because the women in the audience were taking their clothes off and throwing them off the stage. I shit you not. And I'm going to move 13, 14 years, 13, 14 years old. I'm going, oh man, you know, I don't. I, 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 this is really cool right now, but what's going to happen in about five minutes from now? You know, it, it, it was just the coolest thing. And uh, uh, but that's you know that was the the, the 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 template, if you will, for us, and we kept it. We we, we were we were together for ten years before we had a first kid record first year record and we and we stayed during the psychedelic thing we had, you know there was a little psychedelia on the first album you can hear it hear it and we hand at it and there's a little of it in Suzy Q and and then a lot of the other stuff was just straight straight blues and, and on the first record. But my favorite Creedence song is Born on the Bayou. Uh it, 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 to me it, it it's everything that, you know, that we, we embodied uh, uh, less is, is best. And, uh, you know, I put a quarter, quarter note of a groove on it. Same as, as Suzy Q. It was a quarter note groove. Oh, yeah. That, that, that had a steady bass drum part on it. And that played the eighth notes in between the quarter notes uh, on the bass drum. Yeah. But, but born on the bayou, there were accents. And I used uh, I used the cymbal crashes on two and four all the time, and that, uh, that it's really it's really present in Born on the Bayou, and uh, that 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 is the raw rawness. When when I went to the quarter note beat, it, the guitars just came alive. It just opened up that space, and uh, it made it less is best, and made it more more powerful, more. More uh, to to the to the point of what that song is supposed to do. Well, I I got I got to say, Doug, they're timeless recordings, and from a singular and personal point of view, I got to tip my hat and say thank you very much for both pleasure and inspiration, and it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you very much for your time. Oh, my pleasure's mine. Yes, pleasure's a- mine. Absolutely, Doug. And uh, Doug, I just I, I do want to ask you one last thing that'll take a it's sort of a yes or no answer. But on on the the album uh, that you just put out, is it all the material mm-hmm. from 1985, or did you go into the studio and say, okay, I got to fix this, I got to add that, it needs whatever violins, or it needs something? Is it the 1985 album as recorded, or did you sort of sweeten it up uh, for the 2020 release? Well, I sweetened it up a little bit. I, I stayed pretty much. My, what you hear is what you get. I had uh, Russell add a couple of uh, rhythm tracks, guitar uh, rhythm tracks. Uh, I, I, I did a little uh, surgery. I took a, a bridge out of uh, just another girl that just never worked, and um, when, when that when that went away, <laughs> I went, "Oh man, doctor, doctor, you know, plastic surgery works," and uh, so. Uh, things like that, and then of course uh, the great George Horn uh, did the mastering, and uh, he's been around for 50 years, and was uh, an old, old dear old friend. And we, we, you know, uh, we also before before mastering, we, we, there was some uh, there was a, some compression. 
uh, I hit the, the frequencies where the, the drum tra- on the drum tracks would give a little bit more of a, you know, goose it a little bit more, give it a little more power. Uh, back in the day, I, I was always afraid of, uh, you know, I didn't want to be too loud. If, if <laughs> How many drummers tell you that? But anyway, I, 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 you know, I was focusing on the vocal, uh, the best I've ever sung on in my life. So, I, I, but I worked hard at it. But when you have a studio in the house, your own house, you're not looking over your shoulder for you know the clock to run out. And so I, I took my time with my vocals. I, I thought that was a, 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 one of the biggest differences between that and my first solo album. And uh, so uh, I'm real pleased the way it worked out. Uh, Oh, we had, I think, a cowbell, a very light cowbell in a couple of tracks, just because I thought... More more cowbell. More more cowbell. More cowbell. We we always need more cowbell anyway. Uh, uh, on that, well, folks, uh, said, magic window. Lead cowbell. Yeah, lead cowbell. That that that's 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 what I play in bands when I'm in a band. Uh, lead cowbell and lead uh, triangle. Uh, but uh, magic windows out now, and of course, uh, fifty years of Cosmos Factory. Oh my God, fifty years. Oh, boy, it goes quick. Uh, as we say in Montreal, merci. And uh, Alan, always a pleasure. Merci. And uh, there we go. We have done. Thank you. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Nick. My it. my pleasure, Doc. And uh, yeah, let's you do another one it. soon. Anytime you've got any uh, anything else, just uh, reach out and we'll do we'll do more. I like it. There you go. Thank you. Ever wonder what Vince Neil would sound like if he was a black belt in Taekwondo? <laughs> what about what his favorite McDonald's menu item is? <laughs> just hold the pickles. This is Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon.